to Unexpected Points. I am your host, Kevin Cole. My guest today from ESPN, from the worldwide leader, is Seth Walder, sports analytics writer, also a known Aaron Donald hater, uh, <laughs> along with all of the analytics group over at ESPN. Um, went as far as to invent a metric just to just so they could they could hate on him. Um, so I, I appreciate you being here, Seth, and, and doing that because it really helps boost our, our our standing in the in the community. It is it is generally advisable that you know first what you do is you pick a player you want to target, figure out how you can trash him, and then just build something around it. That's that's sort of our motto. So it's a good good idea for any aspiring analytics folks out there. Right, right. And if you want the highest level of buy-in, you choose Aaron Donald for that player also. <laughs> yes. That's, yes. that's how you bring the skeptics in. It's ironic because I know we're going to talk about this later. It's ironic because like that was our big selling point when we did the pass rush metrics was like, look how off the charts good Aaron Donald is. And then uh, that, that really works very well. So uh, to go the opposite, opposite route is harder. Yeah. Yeah. Mo, I'll just a little preview. Yeah. We will talk about this a bit later. Uh, I know we at PFF had some fun at your expense, um, uh, sending out a few few metrics there. But I'll say here, not publicly on Twitter, I'll say here um, that I kind of I kind of agree with you guys on this here. And I think obviously those things get blown out of proportion. First, it's Aaron Donald has a low, uh, you know, has has a low rate here. Then it becomes you know Aaron Donald is bad. Then it becomes Aaron Donald should not be in the NFL. Then it becomes all these all these other things. So we'll we'll get to all of that. Um, all that miscasting and straw manning, uh, straw manning that's going on with your metric. But the first thing I want to discuss with you is what we saw in week one. Now, I think it's important for everyone says don't read too much into, into week one, but I think there are certain things you can read into and certain things you probably have to ignore. So I have a list of topics, which I think are interesting that I think people are going to be talking about this week. And I want to give you the opportunity and then I'll, I'll join in here, whether you're, you're buying these, these trends, these narratives coming out, you're selling it or you're, you know, kind of 50, 50, maybe, maybe not. You're just holding them after, after week one. Does that sound good? Sure. All right. So let, let's jump into the first one here. Um, which is probably a mistake on my part. This offseason, I mentioned, although I, I caveated it big time, that Russell Wilson could be, at this moment, slightly overrated. That was, my, that was my exact quote. Now, that just means Russell Wilson is overrated when you say something like that. Now, he came out week one. He had, in a lot of people's minds, I think, the, the best week of week one, if not Aaron, Aaron Rodgers. And importantly, most importantly, they let him cook a little bit there. Maybe Seahawks Twitter effectively shamed uh, Pete Carroll and Schottenheimer into letting him cook here. So I ask you, are we buying the fact that Russell Wilson not only will play at this level, which I think is something that a lot of people will buy into, but will he continue cooking when they're not playing the Falcons defense? So firstly, I just, I just, what I heard was you said, you said Russell Wilson's average. Is that, is that what <laughs> I heard? Just bad, what I heard. actually. Just bad. Just bad. <laughs> just bad. Okay. Okay, good. I think the hardest part of the question is, will they let him keep cooking? Because that's just like trying to get into Pete Carroll and Brian Schottenheimer's head. And I think we've all tried to do that for several years and figure out what the heck they're thinking uh, and, and haven't really solved them yet. It's obviously encouraging that they're letting him pass. They're passing more in early downs. That's, that's great. I've always felt like the notion that Russell Wilson, you were going to get significantly diminishing returns on his pass game 
I, I just didn't see why that was the assumption and why, why, why anyone should assume that because uh, he's, he's a top three quarterback in the league. I think that's pretty indisputable. And like in general, the best thing to do is to take your best players and utilize them more, take your best techniques or your best parts of your, your game and utilize them more. So for me, if they're letting, if they're, if they're letting Russ, you know, have a chance to, to cook a little bit, I think it's going to work out great for them. I mean, they, to me, this is one of those things that, like you mentioned, you don't want to overreact to week one, but there's some things that might actually change the way you view a team. And Seattle was a team that I thought uh, probably, you know, probably outperformed their abilities a little bit last year when it came to their record. And I think that with Wilson, if he's allowed to pass this much, it actually changes the way that I view Seattle uh, offensively. So, yeah, I mean, I think that this – I guess I'm buying the notion that Russ cooking makes the Seahawks a much better team in 2020. Yeah, I mean – uh, first of all, I have to I have to lock in on my previous take. Like I, I can't I can't let it go. So I'm gonna look through everything th- through that sort of lens. I think when it comes to NFL coaching, what we see generally is uh, if it ain't broke type of mentality here. So it worked, right? So they'll continue to do it. Now, if it doesn't work in another game, if Russell Wilson has a poor game on high volume, which honestly has happened a lot. It's, it, I'm not saying that he's bad at high volume. It's just, it, it could just be yeah. random. But the, some of the lowest efficiency seasons he had uh, were back in like 2015 where he had to pass it, where he had to pass it a lot um, in those, in 2016, in those, in those years. So if that continues to happen, I think there could be, um, you know, the coach, coaches could go the other way. It's like a lot of coaches will go for two a lot and it's because they were successful a few times at the beginning of the season. Uh, we saw we saw Mike Tomlin doing this a few years ago, where they couldn't make an extra point, so they started going for two, and then they started going for going for two all the time. Situations like that. So I think that that is part of it. But again, I want to say something about Russell Wilson and his uh, ratedness, whether over or under. And I'm going to bring ESPN into it this time. I'm I'm bringing you guys into it because I looked up the QBR. Um, the 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 prime metric from ESPN, a EPA based metric based on on analytics, and Russell Wilson for Week One so far this year, not number one, not number two, not number three, number four uh, behind Mahomes at number three, who most people don't think that had had that great of a game. Uh, mm-hmm. Rogers at number two, and then Jackson at number one. So, so how do you defend yourself, ESPN, saying you're, you're saying Russell Wilson is not one of the top three quarterbacks in the NFL? Is what I'm reading. Well, it's uh, right, yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I mean, look, QBR is a rate metric, so ultimately, the key with Wilson has always been that we just you just want more, and so if you're getting more of the fourth best, most efficient quarterback, uh, even if you were to maintain that level, that would undoubtedly be a, a good thing for Seattle. Yeah, and one small thing to point out at Wilson, you know, there was some buzz about the fact that he had completed, I forget what it was, 10, 11, 12 passes in a row at a certain yeah. point. So I do think the way that we we look at Russell Wilson, and this is also a problem with our grading system a little bit, is that the public understates the, the negative of taking a sack. Um, and yeah. our grading system does to a, to a degree also. We don't we don't assign negative grades to sacks uh, in the majority of cases. When in reality, you know, part of it is on the quarterback. Not all the time, but but a lot of the time. So you know, in that in that time period, Russ Wilson took three sacks. Um, 
amazingly, he still completed one drive where he took an eight-yard sack and a nine-yard sack, and they still got a touchdown out of it. But that's something where you, if you if you compare him to others like Mahomes, um, not Rodgers so much because Rodgers takes a lot of sacks, and Lamar Jackson, those guys don't take as many sacks. So I think that's something that doesn't play into it. And I'm looking here at the QBR. He had a negative 1.5 EPA on sacks. No one else had higher than a negative 0.5. So I think that was part partially a differentiator with Wilson also. That's definitely true. And, and and also, you know, with Wilson, always the thing has been too, like he actually, it's not just the sacks, like he actually invites pressure on himself a lot of the times, which is fine. Like it's not a problem when you're Russell Wilson because uh, he's so good at that kind of like magic improvisa- improvisation that he can make uh, special plays out of it. But, but that pressure, which has often been uh, probably over attributed to Seattle offensive lines over the years is sometimes on Wilson. I think that, um, the, it, I, I agree with you on that point. I think a, a part that maybe like traditional stats or, you know, completion percentage and all that will underrate about Seattle is, is just like the depth of, you know, the depth of targets on their, on their throws. Like I think about the thing I talk about with their Tyler Lockett all the time is like his catch rate, especially two years ago when he had basically a Michael Thomas catch rate twice as far downfield. And, we, we don't talk about incompletions in, as, as much as we talk about completions. And the reality is, is that the, the, the Seattle offense having so few, you know, being efficient while still attacking downfield, efficient in terms of like completion percentage is what, what separates them uh, from a lot of other teams. Yeah. Yeah. So again, one other thing that I want to say, um, you know, you guys have the, uh, completion percentage over expectation that they, they, you've you, you you've been working with that number ben baldwin of course has been pumping it out there primarily because it shows russell wilson being being better than everyone else and you know he's a he's a seahawks homer but one other thing that i'll say about that which i think is is interesting and i don't know if this is an overrated or underrated type of thing on on russell wilson is the fact that um, he completes these extremely difficult passes, uh, downfield passes, but he doesn't get much run after the catch from his receivers. Now, part of that may be his receivers, part of that may be the scheme, but I also think part of it is he doesn't do a, he doesn't really have a, a quick passing in rhythm type of passing game. And that's where you get a lot of yak from. So I, I, again, I think that's something where I, I don't really know. I think in the past people may have underrated him because he didn't do that. But now when you're looking at measures like completion percentage over expected, he's getting these enormous numbers, um, but it doesn't necessarily carry through in the EPA numbers because he's not getting the yak. There's, there's not as much yak in there. So he's completing these, these deep, long passes, but quite often, it wasn't the case for DK Metcalf on Sunday because he was hit exactly in stride, but quite often the guys, you, you get tackled after that and, and you don't get a lot of yak. So I also wanted to bring that up again in my continued quest to say he may be overrated. Yeah, no, I, you know, I hadn't heard that one before and that's a good point actually. I mean, I, I'm looking, I'm trying to look up Seattle's uh, like yak over expected to see if, uh, but I think that, I think that is an interesting point in the sense that um, yeah, you're right. Like even, and even, even the like the variant on on CPOE like Kyo like completed air yards over expectation is is taking away that that yak number um, and yeah it looks like Seattle's expected yak is on now actually uh, that's interesting in 2019 their expected yak this is per next gen stats was just about league average so that that actually that actually runs slightly counter to 
what you were just saying. But so you're saying yak versus expectation or how much they're expected to get on a particular throw? Uh, how much yak they're expected to get on a particular throw. Oh, right. Okay. So you're saying, right. So like what I'm saying is, so I'm saying not, not versus expectation, what the actual okay. expectation okay. is. So I think like, like, I'm not, uh, I don't know. I have to think about it more, but like to your theory, we would expect their expected yak to be low if Wilson's not putting them in positions to get yak. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm just trying to I'm trying to figure out this disconnect because, for instance, you know, he was if you look at him and from an EPA basis, he wasn't nearly as high like last year as he as 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 um his grades were and his completion percentage over expectation. So I'm just trying to think of different ways and why and why that may be. Well, the sacks, case. sacks is a huge part of that. I mean, that's yeah. like unquestionably sacks would be a huge part of that. Um, and and that's that's like a big reason, you know, why you have this huge disconnect with Mahomes between his CPOE and his EPA. EPA. He doesn't take sacks. Okay. Well, okay. I'm going to move on to the, to the second topic here. So I guess we're buying on, on that one. Um, yeah. So this is kind of bringing two guys together who people like to compare, although one is kind of accomplished and the other one isn't. Uh, Cam Newton and Josh Allen. Now, both of them had big week ones. Both of them were used a ton in the running game. Both of them are being seen as you know, their competitors here in this NFC East. But I think kind of the, the, the people probably elevated both teams in their, minding, in their minds after what happened in week one. So are you buy, individually for these different guys, are you buying the fact that they're kind of taking these teams to the next level this, this year? Uh, taking your teams to the next level. I'm not well, sure I mean, versus, versus what your expectation would have been. Yeah. Yeah. I think I'm not buying Josh Allen in, I, I he did have a good game on in week one. I don't want to take away from that. The two fumbles, uh, hurts quite a bit. Fumbles tends to be a problem for him that that hurts quite a bit in general. So, um, that's an important part if you're going to be, you know, if you're going to be a running quarterback. I'm not sure, you know, after last season when he wasn't particularly good, uh, one game against the Jets, who I think, I think we're probably going to talk about them, I think very, very little of, does not uh, make me think that Josh Allen is, is, you know, trending up. It doesn't mean the Bills can't be good because the rest of that team is so talented that you're kind of like – it's like that thing. If you have a below-average quarterback but the but you hit it just right everywhere else, you can still be a really good team, and the Bills are set up perfectly to pull that off again. Uh, but, no, I don't think there's – there's like – I haven't seen a reason in there to expect Josh Allen to be great um, or to be – substantially improved the what the Patriots are doing is like far more interesting that that has me wondering I I'm I guess I'm going to fall somewhere in the middle here I mean what they did running with Cam Newton and if, if you didn't watch if, for folks that didn't watch the game this wasn't scrambles right these were I mean there were some of them were read plays but it was a lot of Cam Newton runs uh design runs or read plays and they did a great job of putting him in situations where he was running against light boxes. So if you're going to have a running offense like that is so critical to, to run against light boxes because the, the margins are just smaller in the run game. You have to, you have to just be consistently successful more. And I think with the Patriots and they, they, they ran 65% of the time in week one. So that is by far the you know by far the most of any team in week one. I'm fascinated. Like, can they can they pull this off? Uh, I don't I don't know that I don't know that we have enough from week one to tell. But I think that if you're if you knew you're going in that direction, 
with this kind of like rushing attack, I think probably like maximizing Cam Newton's strengths. Like let's, you know, instead of, instead of trying to force him into being something he's not like let him play to his strengths and utilize the ground game. Uh, the way they did it against the light boxes to me was an encouraging sign. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I mean, I think both guys probably ran more i mean they ran as much as you would like because you like to see both of them run but it was a lot for for both of them i mean both had 15 carries um i think cam was something like 35 percent of the carries for the patriots allen was 40 percent where those numbers you know typically don't get over 20 percent unless you're someone like uh lamar jackson and cam didn't throw the ball that much i mean at least allen did throw the ball 40 something times so the amount of times that he ran while high on a on a nominal basis on a relative basis wasn't wasn't nearly as high so i think there's there's kind of like an encouraging side to both of those things especially for cam because you just didn't know if he was going to run or or not based upon the injury history but there's also yeah. a discouraging side in that these are unsustainable numbers and especially and with alan you know we saw the turnovers um maybe i'm wrong in this but just from my very unanalytical eye test is that he kind of looks like he's going to get himself hurt eventually on on some of these plays he did he did as a rookie. He missed. He missed some time. McCam has obviously been hurt too, uh, but I think he has maybe a little bit more awareness there. So, for that reason, I'm a little bit, you know, hold-ish on them. D- did it change your opinion on who is going to win this division or who FBI thinks is going to win this division? Most analytic systems I've seen have favored the Bills versus Vegas. So Vegas almost all offseason has seen this as being uh, close to a tie as far as what their odds will be. Most systems favor the Bills. Do you have any, any insight into that or opinion on, on, on judging the two of them for that title, for the AFC East title? So FPI in the preseason is heavily, uh, heavily betting market-based. So it's not going to diverge a ton. Uh, right now it has the Bills. Bills 50%, Patriots 43 So still pretty close. close. Yeah. Um, I, think, I think to me – the, the liability at quarterback, I, I sort of treat Newton as more of an unknown, whereas I feel more confident in Allen being liability at quarterback has, you know, shaded my opinion to be more toward the Patriots heading into the season. I will say, you know, can you remind me, I think Josh Allen, I thought there was some, uh, like, maybe this was just coach speak about not having him run as much in the preseason. I feel like I they encouraged he said that, like, to me, if you're a Bills fan, I think the encouraging thing is that he did run because that's the one thing that that, that really works for him. So I, I feel like you don't want to, like, get into this sort of Trubisky situation where you're really successful running and then you try and be something that you're not and, and you take away that best, that really, you know, good part of your game. Yeah, and they were, as you mentioned, design runs too. I think for Trubisky had this thing where he had some design runs. He was scrambling much more often in the uh, 2018 season where he showed some promise and then that dialed back and that kind of, the scrambles are just more, um, you know, more variable, more fluky, depending upon the particular game, what, what'll, what'll end up happening. So yeah, Alan did talk about running less. I think all these guys say they want to run less just because, um, you know, it's not being a quarterback or it's not, you know, it's not going to be valued in the same sort of way. So, so I'll just, Put, put that in as part of it. And again, I'll just say from an EPA type of metric, Allen, you know, he didn't have the greatest game because of, because of those, because of those fumbles. And, you know, that might be something that's fluky, but, you know, I'm looking again, I'll, I'll pin this on ESPN here, uh, 14th in QBR yeah. below Drew Brees. Drew Brees doesn't, he can't literally can't throw the ball. So, 
and, and below Drew Brees. And again, fumbles. And then from, from our metrics, you know, we initially had him for two turnover worthy plays where he almost got intercepted in the end zone. We, we brought that back to one. So I think with Allen, it's one of these things where, yeah, th- there's some upside, but there's clearly like, if you're not playing the jets, if you fumble twice, if you miss two wide open guys in the end zone, and if you almost throw two interceptions, that's, you know, that's going to be difficult against, against a upper tier competition. And if those two fumbles were in a picks, like what would the general conversation around Allen's day have been? It wouldn't have been the same thing. And yet, you know, it's turnovers are turnovers either way. So uh, I, I think underrating fumbles is a, you know, or fumbles should not be underrated, I guess I should say. Yeah, I mean, there's randomness to fumbles. Um, if you watch one of them that he took, he was like doing a flip over some guy. Like, I don't know what he was. He was, he was like jumping over someone for no reason. So yeah, some of them can be pretty random with Allen. I don't know if they're quite... It's quite as random as, as others. He had 14 last year, if I recall. So yeah, you know, yeah. it's a hefty number. Yeah, there's, there's a history there. Okay, so the next one we're, we're going on to here is the 49ers, the quote-unquote Super Bowl hangover. Uh, they, they lose week one to the Arizona Cardinals, division rival. Uh, the Seahawks looked, you know, fantastic there. Are they in trouble, not only as far as their – Super Bowl path, but maybe even within the NFC West. Are you buying the fact that the 49ers are in trouble after week one? I think I am because of the division in the sense that I mentioned to you already that one team that changed my outlook on them was the Seahawks. And the other that did that is the Rams. So in that sense, I think the 49ers are, are just in a tougher spot. And I was a little bit, you know, I'm sort of coming in from it as not thinking about them in the preseason as necessarily a top three team, sort of the standard you expect defensive regression. Uh, but I, I, I don't know, like from the 49ers game, if I have like a, a strong take one way or another on, on say that offense, I mean, sort of like, you know, qualitatively, you think of a Kyle Shanahan offense as, as being able to provide some sort of floor, uh, though, you know, maybe that would have been a high floor. I mean, maybe that would have been what people would have said about McVay a year ago. Um, I did watch like the Garoppolo sacks and he, he, you know, he definitely missed some two of them. He had like open guys downfield. The third one, he had an open check down uh, that, that he missed. So I'm not sure I have like a, a strong feeling on them either way. The one thing I will say is that, you know, when DeAndre Hopkins went off, he, at first I was like, okay, well, oh, that's super interesting. Then I noticed he was, he was playing way, way more on the left side. Uh, and I was like, oh, okay, get rid, you know, stay away from Sherman. But then Sherman actually did travel some of the time. Most of the, it wasn't, it was a minority of, of Hopkins' snaps that Sherman lined up against him, but he, he did travel more than Sherman normally does. Uh, and then I looked at actually the place where Sherman defended him. And uh, that, that was not Hopkins' most productive. Two, two of three for on, and the two completions were two out routes. Uh, so to me, that's like maybe the encouraging sign is Richard Sherman was really good last year. And if you're the 49ers, you probably need Sherman to be that again. Um, it's not encouraging when DeAndre Hopkins roasts you, but still like you gotta have, you gotta have, you want to have that star, that older star cornerback show uh, show something. Yeah. I mean, it was kind of a weird game. I didn't watch a ton of it, but I mean, you had some themes coming into it. One 49ers like didn't have anyone to throw the ball to. And then Kittle kind of messes up his knee. Uh, yeah. Debo Samuel. Now they're saying not only is he going to IR, which could be a minimum of 
three games, but he's going to, um, I, I, they said they had a quote unquote setback is, is what I heard mm-hmm. on his, on his foot. So that's a bit concerning. The rookie didn't play Brandon. Now didn't play, um, a little bit under underplayed angle here is the loss of Emmanuel Sanders, who when he came in midway through last season, whether it's, you know, noise or timing or not, uh, Garoppolo took his numbers, took a big step up. There was a big kind of on off split on the season without, without Sanders last year. So you combine all that together. I think there are some issues beyond this game and what will end up happening there. Now within the game itself, there were some fluky plays for, for the Cardinals. They had, uh, 22-yard scramble touchdown from Kyler Murray. Uh, Kyler Murray had 13 EPA on scrambles in one game. Uh, no one else had more than three uh, for week one. So, like, that was just a huge, huge amount. And, like, again, like I said, the scrambles can be a little bit all, all over the place. Kyler was his, – his time to throw was, was one of the lowest. It was 2.2 seconds, um, which helped neutralize that pass rush. They didn't really get much pressure on him. And I thought that it was actually a great job by – by Kyler, who threw a lot of short passes last year too, so maybe it wasn't like such a and they did okay against the 49ers, I think, last year too. So maybe it wasn't like a, a master game plan, but more of just a, a matchup between the two. And then, you know, that touchdown to DeAndre Hopkins was kind of a blown well, it wasn't a touchdown, sorry, down to the one yard line with DeAndre. It was kind of a blown coverage. So maybe that's a little bit fluky. But then again, on the other side, you know, you got a 65 65 yard touchdown to your running back um right. for this for the 49ers. So yeah, I, I think I think they are in trouble and but I don't think it was a good matchup for them. Mm-hmm. I think that's fair. I think the Sanders point is a good, is a good one. I didn't think about it as much as, as I think it's the thing is like Emmanuel Sanders is sort of perennially underrated. And, and even still, like, even though I've previously thought that, like didn't think about it, you know, his loss as much as it probably should have. Yeah. I mean, we kind of thought of it as a total afterthought for the saints offense. And I think, um, I'm not sure if he had more target more targets than than Kamara, but he definitely was was utilized more than Mike Thomas was in Week One. So that was a that was an interesting development. All right, um, we, we 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 talked about the Jets a little bit here. Um, no one likes to talk about losers, but I want to talk about them in the in in the context of number one pick. Are they looking like they're going to be the, the the number one pick? And maybe will it be Trevor Lawrence in New York? Should Jet fans already flip to the t- after week one? Should they already flip to to Trevor Lawrence watch? Like, okay, when people say don't overreact to week one, like this was my take going into the season. So this doesn't, it's not, I'm not overreacting to week one. I don't understand what could possibly cause the Jets to be good. Like, I, I like, what is the answer? Like, the answer is Sam Darnold takes some insane step up. The last time Sam Darnold was top 20 in QBR, NFL or college, was 2016. So that's a long time ago. And I know he's in a terrible situation. Like, he actually, he actually is, but I, you would think that a good quarterback would, would elevate that to some degree. I don't see how – I don't <laughs> – I really – I'm, like, totally flummoxed. Like, what's – What's the good part of this team? Their run, like their run stuffing? That doesn't, that doesn't get you, it doesn't really get you very far. Uh, and, and I just can't, I'm, I'm, I'm like, I'm flummoxed. I'm always, I've just been staring at this team for months trying to figure out what possible reason for optimism is there. And so, yes, I think they are in the race for the number one pick. I think they're like, that would probably be good for them because I think the worst case scenario is, they play relatively poorly this season 
and maybe they make a change of head coach and then think, well, now we got to give Darnold another year with the, with the new head coach. I mean, after this season, if Darnold hasn't played well, you've got a, you've got a pretty strong sample size of saying, hey, I think this guy's telling you what he is. And, and so then they might waste another year. And that's like really kind of the, the, the problem scenario for the Jets. Uh, I think, yeah, if they, if they end up bottoming out, that could end up being a, a good thing for them. Yeah, if they land a Trevor Lawrence, a Justin Fields, something like that, that could be great. So, yeah, I, I mean, you tell me. It's like, what's the, what's the case for this team being good? Because I have not found it. Yeah, it, it's, it's difficult. I mean, we did a little survey amongst PFF analysts, and I did choose them for, for the number one pick. A little bit spicy, nice. uh, but, you know, a little yeah. bit of spice there. Um, but, yeah, well, what has Darnold done to say that he's going to be better than Gardner Minshew, right? Um, I mean, I looked into when I was looking at Darnold and at Allen, it's everyone points to this third year as being the make or break year. And I think it is from the perspective of fans. I mean, sometimes quarterbacks may make it to the fourth year, but the reality is even after two years, you got to at least be, if you're in position to draft someone, they really weren't this last year. You got to really at least be thinking about it because there's only a couple of quarterbacks who have turned their careers around. One of them being Troy Aikman into being a really high, high level quarterback, and he was in a you know god awful situation. Owen sixteen his first year when he came into the league, um, so somewhat similar. So I think there is, you know, if they can get guys healthy, I don't know if someone like Denzel Mims can 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 contribute, but if they can get him out there, if they get Perryman healthy, I think Perryman can be better than what than what we saw on Sunday. And I guess your hope is that this was just. A, you know a tough defense a really great defense that they played week one but you know some of the internals in here you know he took it he had a 40 percent pressure rate um in that game which is about the same as he had last year he took sacks they only ran play action eight percent of the time which was i think it was the lowest of the week although in their defense they were down so much no one would have bought it no one would have right. bought, bought the fakes but again that's just not something that, that Gase necessarily does he does he's, he doesn't necessarily make life easier for his quarterback so that that's the main reason of disappointment is just it was almost like if you would have scripted what was going to happen in the most likely scenario not even in the most negative scenario it's it's kind of exactly what we got on Sunday there, I, you brought up the pressure on Darnold and and actually I watched I watched a bunch of his plays and I'm not sure he Normally, my take on Darnold is that he he holds the ball way too long, invites the pressure. Last year, he was under fire a lot, and like if you look at our pressure numbers, which are hand tracked, he he was like he was pressured at a super high rate. But if you look at our pass block win rate metrics, the Jets came out middle of the pack. So, what that tells me, along with a super high time to throw, is that uh, it's on either Darnold or you could make a case for the scheme or the receivers. But like. Bottom line is, you know, that pressure is being invited on on him, and that's that's a bad sign. That's that's a problem. I did watch like all of our pressure plays for Darnold this week, and I don't think he, I don't think he, you know, he missed a, a couple of guys, but like like downfield. But I, I didn't really feel like he invited invited that pressure in this case this week, though I do think that's true broadly for him. Yeah, and I mean, Darnold's yeah. not unathletic, um, mm-hmm. so. I would have hoped to have like, he, like what, people don't talk about him. Well, like, why isn't he doing anything? 
with his legs or, or on the ground. But I do think that he might be below the, whatever the threshold is for someone who can really harness that skill. And mm-hmm. in today's NFL, I mean, if we see the guys who are very successful, the young guys, even Patrick Mahomes, you know, they can run to a, to a degree. I mean, Mahomes is probably on a different level as, uh, from, from even the, some of the top quarterbacks as far as his ability to do the, the passing. I think we, we have too much of this archetype in our head of you know, the Tom Brady, Philip Rivers, Ben Roethlisberger to a degree, guys who can really just, just do everything out of, the, out of the pocket and work like that. And that's just not how it works now. And we, we're seeing with Darnold, and I think also this is something I'm kind of starting to lean into on a take on Baker is that there's don't, Baker just doesn't have the functional athleticism to, to make up for the problems that he has when he tries to bail out of the pocket. He's not able to do it. And I think for Darnold, it may be some of the same degree. Like he could be better than Josh Allen, but Josh Allen can get out of some stuff when, mm-hmm. when he's, when he's running around out there where Darnold can't. And again, that just means he really has to be that much better in the passing game, which is, which is difficult to do. Yeah. That, I, I think, I think that makes sense. I'm just continually, I'm I'm sorry to like, the Jets, I just—it's it's a very hopeless situation for them. It really is. Well, I think the fans have given up in in New York, so that's that's okay. It's not like some of these okay, other fans. September fifteenth, perfect. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's let's move on to you mentioned the Rams earlier, and I think the Rams are really interesting. I was picking them as like, why is no one talking about the chance of the Rams winning the division when? They would have been a playoff team last year in this year's format. They would have, they, you know, you know, who knows? And if they would, if they would have won a game, you know, everyone could be talking about them like they talk about the Tennessee Titans or someone like that uh, this year. So, are you buying the Rams' rebirth now um, after an impressive win where they look pretty good on both sides of the ball? I mean, they didn't dominate, obviously, but they, they look pretty good on both sides of the ball against a Cowboys team that, that a lot of people are very high on this year. Uh, this is a full buy for me. So, yeah, I'm really high on the Cowboys. I picked them to win the Super Bowl, so it doesn't get much higher than that. And I did pick the Rams to win the division, so, you know, maybe I'm just confirming our priors Oof. here. But there were, there were three oh, things. I put some money on that, too. <laughs> there were three things I saw in this Rams game. And, and like you said, they were, they were good, but they weren't – like their offense wasn't crazy efficient or anything like that. But there were three things I saw that, like, actually – well, I thought were very encouraging signs. So uh, first things first, like they used a ton of motion at the snap. So uh, we did a story last year on the Ravens and how much uh, motion at the snap they were using. And that was sort of the key, whether if you put a man in motion and then he stops, you know, there's a beat and then you run the play. We found um, not much of an edge when you, when you do that, but it's actually when you have the man sort of in motion, sprinting across that, that actually helps your offense, uh, by a by a decent chunk, they ran it. They had motion at the snap thirty four percent of the time, which is really high rate. It was number number one this week. It was about double the rate they did last year, which they were already one of the higher teams. So to me, that's a really good sign. If they if they are going to start implementing that more in their offense, that's just like you know we talk about play actions, just like just like free money. Basically, you're taking. Play action is the second thing. So they ran more play action than they did last year. Uh, I think they have the second highest. I want to say second highest play action rate this 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 week. Uh, so more play action is better, right? Like there probably is an upper limit of how much play action you can use, but we haven't found it yet. So I wouldn't, if I were a coach, I wouldn't be sweating it. And then the third thing was their offensive line. So like back two years ago when they reached the Super Bowl, they had the number one pass blocking line in the regular season um, that year. Dropped all the way down to 22nd last season and I think that was the really just a, a big factor for them 
they they were I think eighth this week against the Cowboys team that I guess it's a little hard to tell. They were a, an excellent pass rushing team by our our win rate matrix last year, but they had Robert Quinn, who's like the pass rush win rate god, and uh, and Malik Collins, who we kind of liked as well. Those guys are both gone. Uh, Demarcus Lawrence is still there. It likes him quite a bit too. So. Uh, quite a bit as well. So TBD on how difficult it is to stop that Cowboys pass rush. But to me, that's a really important thing. All three of those things is about making Jared Goff's life easier. And I think that's what, that's really good signs. So that's, that's the Rams are like, like I said about the Seahawks. There's another team where you kind of change your outlook a little bit. I'm more bullish on them than I was before. I'm more bullish on them than, than FPI. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it sounds like you're you're reading from some of my notes here, other than looking at different different metrics. Because, yeah, I mean, the 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 blocking is was was the thing that I mean, Goff was under a lot of pressure last year. He had a very low touchdown rate. They just weren't able to get the plays that they needed to. Now, wh- wh- how much of that was luck or not, we don't know. But, um, yeah, I mean, just just a, just to just to solidify uh, the what you were talking about with their with their pass blocking. Yeah, we had them at the we had the unit at the fourth best pass blocking grade this last week, whereas last year for the full season, they were the fourth worst. Um, his pressure rate was, was 20%. And, you know, they invite some pressure with the play action game and things like that. So that's a pretty low number based upon what they do. Whereas 35% a year ago, he got the ball out quicker, 2.3 seconds versus 2.6 seconds, using a lot more screens that they were not, for some reason, were not using last year. And they were involving the running backs in the passing game a lot more they threw about 20 percent of their targets to running backs versus only 11 12 which was near the bottom of the league the year before so but which also brought down the a dot but i think that's okay when you you know if, if you know the offensive line that, that first things first which is don't put golf under under pressure and don't don't have those mistakes and i think they they did that so yeah for those reasons everything is good the one question mark again is what you mentioned we just don't know on the cowboys defense whether or not um this is going to become a week by week thing that teams are able to bring pressure down um so that would be the one hedge i would have but i think i agree with you on on the rams um and 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 how and how you framed everything with with them being a little bit more positive now Plus, you know, big upgrade at running back. So that should. should. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Which one are we talking about? So that's, doesn't, that's, matter. doesn't matter. I'm yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's why. That's why you got to draft one in the second round after drafting one, trading up in the third round the year before to draft a, a guy you don't use. You just keep on, keep on doing it. Keep on doing it. Why not? Um, okay. So another team that had a, you know, an expected blowout week one win was the Ravens. I'm interested in Lamar Jackson. Because I think again, number one in QBR. You saw he was number one in QBR there. But I'll say one thing about QBR, which was which was interesting when you go through there, because um, you know breaks out their their EPA by category for the run negative point six. He he did not add any value. In fact, he lost some some value running the ball in this game. Yet number one in QBR for the week. Do you think he is? You know, really taking that step to the next level, not a Josh Allen step to wherever wherever Allen's going, but a Lamar Jackson step into kind of that elite elite passer in addition to what he can do um, on the run, whereas people were expecting, you know, regression from what he had done last year passing the ball. So I think this is one where it's trickier to – it's trickier. So, like, with the Rams, right, those are – what we talked about were three things that, like, three sort of, like, changes to features of their offense – like that feels like something that you can change the way you view down the line. Like I want, I watched, you know, you see what Jackson did and it was super impressive, uh, but it's hard to change a view on a player, I think from one game. 
That being said, it did look really good. And then I think that the part that makes me slightly more bullish is, um, I don't know how you feel, but like I was pretty high on the Browns defense going in. Um, I think Denzel Ward is really good. You got to deal with Miles Garrett uh, coming at you. So I think the way they were able to handle that defense, it's possible that like, you know, five weeks from now, we're looking back at, at that and, and realizing how much more impressive this, this week one game was, but I, I could be wrong there. I mean, I don't know. How do you feel? How do you feel about the Browns defense? Yeah. I mean, the Browns, they, they have some injury concerns. I mean, they didn't have a lot uh, up the middle, no matter what. Yeah. And you would have thought that was going to be the big vulnerability, especially facing Lamar Jackson, who likes to throw the ball up the middle versus uh, on the sidelines. Um, but I mean, with the Browns had our number one rush grade for the week. So it seems like they had a really good game plan there and it didn't matter. Um, the one thing that you would wanted to have seen, although it's kind of this weird, it's kind of an oxymoron. Like you, you kind of wanted to see them come from behind passing the ball. That would have been a little bit more interesting, I feel like, but then again, they would have had to play poorly to get into that position. <laughs> so it's, it's like one or the other, but that's the one thing you haven't seen from, from Jackson, but a couple of things I can point to that are, I think solid takeaways that are think, leading into what we hope for this this season is one, Lamar Jackson, he threw it to his wide receivers a lot more with Hollywood mm-hmm. Brown out there. It's about 58% of his targets were there versus 42 last year, which was second to last. Only Carson Wentz threw it to his wide receivers less than, than Jackson last year. So now he's more middle of the pack, which, which I think is good. Um, and I think just the way that he was passing, it wasn't all play action sort of passes. He was, he was sitting back there and kind of picking apart the defense at times, which I, which I thought was um, impressive. So because of that, because it's, it's a new wrinkle to that passing game, because he was really ineffective running, which I don't think we saw at all last year. Maybe I'm buying it a little bit more because of those two solid points. There's a, that play, the deep bomb to Hollywood Brown. He, I'm now I'll say this. I'm working a lot more off of uh, dots than I normally would because there's some <laughs> video issues um, going around. But uh, but like you can on the dots, you can see the, the sort of double move that Brown puts on. It looks like a cover three from the uh, from the Browns, and they have a and Brown sort of the, the sort of middle receiver going deep. So you would think the but then he the second move sends him to the the left third, and the corner who would have been there is already kept down. So just it just like just perfect, uh, like I'm sure. However, you know they, when they drew it up, like that's exactly what they were surely hoping for, and it and it worked. And uh, that's nice. Yeah, that's nice. I mean, if if you're selling, if like I guess the 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 thing is is like if the Browns, you said they they their your number one rush grade, right? Yeah. Uh, like run stop grade. So mm-hmm. if. <laughs> It's got to be scary for opponents if, like, if they if that was their plan, sell out, stop the run, and then Jackson really picks you apart this way. Uh, and his like his completion over expectation was like plus sixteen, I think, this first week. So that's uh, that's a good sign for the Ravens. Like that that's for sure. Yeah, I mean, there's this weird thing with Jackson too, where he was a unanimous MVP last year. He put up similar efficiency numbers last year to what Patrick Mahomes did in 2018 in that season. Yet, if you look at talk about underrated versus overrated, if you look at quarterback rankings, he sometimes he's third. I mean, he yeah. was first in the NFL Player one, but we're, we'll we'll kind of ignore that, ignore that, ignore that one. But sometimes he could be fourth, fifth, mm-hmm. sixth in some of these executive ratings. Um, 
And it's weird because I had this Deshaun Watson versus Lamar Jackson thing in the offseason where first I was saying Watson, but then I realized, you know, why, why are we, why are we doing this? Like <laughs> Lamar Jackson is, is great. Like he, he probably is the better guy. And I just think people need to start buying, you know, eventually everyone, we're going to see more capitulation. This was kind of like step one to getting more people capitulating the fact of maybe he's like right there with someone like Russell Wilson, quite honestly. Yeah. I, Oh, a hundred percent. I think that's like, to me, the only it's the that's the debate. Like going forward, firstly, Jackson was the best quarterback last year. So like yes. while I think it was well, like if if your ranking is projecting forward, you know, putting him at number one, I wouldn't I wouldn't do it. But like he was the best quarterback in the NFL regular season last year. So if 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 that ranking was like looking backwards, then I guess that's the case. To me, like it's just it's just Wilson versus Jackson. Like that's that at for two. Uh, like to put him at four or five, I, I think is is crazy because he's yeah. That I'm uh, yeah. No, I think it really comes down to those those two. Yeah, I think that's what I think. All right. Um, one other. Okay, now we we got to go on the flip side. <laughs> A little negative town here. Um, geriatric uh, matchup, <laughs> the, the old guy bowl over the weekend. Breeze, Brady, kind of ugly on both sides of the ball. Are you buying that either one is in decline, both are in decline? What's your What's your thought? I think I'm weirdly more worried about Breeze um, because let me say this: going into the season with Brady, my feeling was we've seen Brady has been his numbers have been on the decline, right? So we 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 know he wasn't production wise was not particularly good last season, but there's always a case like he was not in a, he was not in a great situation last year. I mean, like playmakers wise, he was really not dealing with much. The Patriots' offensive line got a lot better as time went on last year, but they started out just awful in terms of pass protection, and so I've been wondering if this better situation was going to reveal that maybe Brady hadn't fallen off as much as he, as we thought. And so I, I kind of am like holding that, holding that prior. I want to see a few weeks before I, um, before I move off that. I think, I think with Breeze, it's like, he's already, he's in that, the whole, his whole game, right. Is, is being super accurate in the short game. And he was, you know, negative four CPOE on short, on short passes, short and behind the line of scrimmage, uh, which is like, you know, he was, I think he was like a plus five last year overall. And I want to say higher off the top of my head inter- when, when short on short passes, don't hold me to that. That to me is like more concerning because like the whole, the whole thing is if you, he, you just, he's going to do this one aspect really well. You, you have to do it really well in order for it to work. So that almost to me is, is more, yeah, is, is more alarming. The Bucks. I'm not, I'm not smart enough X's and O's wise to know if this made a difference. One thing I looked at with our coverage numbers, I would look to just see who changed a lot from last year to this year. And the Bucks made a pretty heavy shift from some middle of field open coverages to middle of field close. They ran a lot more man one cover three than they did previously. I honestly don't know if that's like through, if that was just different than what Breeze was expecting or threw him off or if that could have affected Michael Thomas in a way. Again, I'm not, it's just not my area of expertise to know, but I just noticed that difference from the Bucks. 
I don't know. Do you, do you, are you with me on Breeze? And is that, is that worrying to you or no? Yeah. I mean, I think it's worrying, although I, I think I may go the, the other direction as far as who yeah. I'm more worried about. I mean, so for, for Brady, we do have a season, maybe a season and a half um, of already you could, there's evidence of decline. Um, there's physically evidence decline of Drew Brees for a while. Who knows? Maybe sloping for for many years. But you know, 2018 he was maybe even leading the MVP race over Patrick Mahomes with a few yeah. games left to go in the season. 2019, despite the fact that they're not throwing as much, he was highly efficient. He he graded well. So yeah, he he had a bad game. But because I, I looked through some of his numbers, and you know, Mahomes has this thing where he never has a bad game, which makes him pretty unique. But I was looking through some of. Breeze's numbers in that 2018 season. I mean, he had to 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 use to use your guys' QBR. He had a 17.9 in one game down the stretch there. He had a 24.5 in another. He had uh under 50 in another one there. Like I said, Mahomes is barely is never under 50. In 2019, he has a game that's a 17.6. So he throws up some stinkers sometimes. <laughs> and I, I also think there's a small there's a there's an outside chance that five weeks from now. Uh, 10 weeks from now, we're looking back in this week one matchup and we're saying that was like two top five NFL defenses that were that were facing off against each other. So that's the one thing. This is not like the optics of Buck Saints in the in the dome maybe doesn't really align with what our expectations should have been. Yeah, I think and like it's probably a little unfair because like part of it in my head thinking about the Brady thing was like, well, Saints defense pretty solid. So let's, you know, let's see. And I didn't necessarily afford breeze the same the same luxury I guess like right there so maybe there's you know there's some bias creeping in um I did ask uh I was thinking about I was trying to figure out like what what the heck happened with with Thomas um and so I asked like Ben Solak from the draft network uh, uh like an hour ago about the the cover three man one thing and he said he'd have, he'd have to watch the tape but the other thing he said which I think is a fair point is like you know, it also can just be that like Carlton Davis and Sean Murphy Bunting are just really good players, and uh, and I buy that. I mean, those guys, those guys really, I think, are were good last year and could be could you know could really uh, could really show themselves to be a force in twenty twenty. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Breeze has you know. I mean, I mean, I'm sorry. Brady has the weapons this year. Mike, uh, Mike Evans. How hurt he was or not? I guess is something we'll see going forward. But a, a couple other just small data points with them. Um, you know, they're not they're not running play action as much. They take about as much time to throw, but they don't run play action as much. You know, Brady's time to throw actually had been going up a little bit as they've been using a lot more play action in New England. So you know that Arian system. I think there also were questions there. Um, how good of a fit it'll be. Our, our our small sample is maybe not so good two interceptions which is for him you know he only throw he throws fewer than you know, he throws eight interceptions during a year it's kind of like a bad year for him so uh, again we'll we'll see exactly what's going on there um, I'm curious, i want to see a few weeks in what yeah if the if the route distribution is changing you know under under arians here because they were super <clears throat> i mean everyone knows right they're super vertical but i think even like I did. I took a quick look at the offseason, like who runs not just targeted routes, but like routes run. And I think Tampa verticals were like the most over average group type. Or don't quote me on that, but it was so, something along those lines, just indicating that. And I just wonder if they if they changed that. Mike Evans also not not one hundred percent healthy in that game too. Yeah, yeah. I mean his his average depth of target was up to nine from. 
uh, 7.9 the year before. But like I mentioned, the, the year before that they were juicing, they're getting, they were juicing that a lot by doing, by doing so much play action. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, we'll, we'll interesting to see how that continues to unfold going forward. Um, okay. Let's pivot into talking about why Aaron Donald is bad. So the, so the, let me just give a little overview here. So this is all, um, this is all uh, based upon the the chips, the player movement, the that you have there, the location, the tracking for the players. So you last year, or it was last year or two years ago, you guys came out with the pass rush stuff. Years ago, two years okay. ago. So, yeah. So you had the the pass rush win rate for the pass rushers, pass block win rate. This is now run stop win rate for um for the defenders run block win rate for the offensive guys maybe talk about a little bit about the methodology um without getting too many of the nuts and bolts because i'm sure that'll come up as we're as we're talking and then is there anything that kind of differentiates those two um making one more difficult than the other to measure the pass rush versus the uh the run stopping yeah, so uh, I'll answer the last part first, which is it is definitely more difficult, and that's the reason why this running game metrics are coming up two full years after the pass game metrics. So Brian Burke, who created uh, all these metrics, you know, this has been something he's been talking about, working on, thinking about for a long time. <clears throat> he did the pass game ones because first because they're way more simple. It's really quite easy to identify who's blocking whom with the player tracking chips. Uh, And then once you have that information, it's also pretty easy to tell who's beating whom because like in general, the idea is if you're blocking someone, you're trying to make sure you're in between them and the quarterback. The run game is just like way more complicated. So the model has to be different. It's not just about where are you versus another person. So the the basic way this works is – if we think about it from the run stop perspective, there are sort of four categories of ways that a player can get a run stop win. So the first way is kind of the, 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 the most obvious, which is when you, and the most like pass block win rate, uh, which is when you sort of beat your man such that you're in a, a better position to, to make a play on the runner. So, uh, you know, you, you get off your block and you're moving towards the runner. That's, that's a that's a win. That's by far the way that the players get wins the most. Um, the second is uh, what we call a disruption win. So you might still be being blocked, but you think about a guy who just pushes his, you know, pushes a guard or the center like back into the backfield, and it causes it disrupts the play. Um, that even if he's still being blocked, you are that player's having an effect. So that's a that's a run stop win. The third is the least common, uh, mostly for edges. It's like a contain rush. So if you can, if you're, again, you can still be being blocked, but you uh, force contain such that the runner has to move his, adjust his path, right? He can't get, he can't get around you, has to cut back inside because of the contain. And then the fourth is the most simple, which is if you make a tackle within three, three yards of the line of scrimmage. So, if you any of those things or multiple of those things is a run stop win, anything else is a run stop loss, and then for the blockers, it's just the exact inverse of that. Okay, so I, the questions that are going to come up initially for people: number one, um, what about double teams, things like that? How are we judging guys there? Um, how, what adjustments are made for for that? Because that seems like the obvious one where it's difficult to credit a win or a loss because of the um, inequity of the force just being applied by from both sides. Yeah, 100%. The 
the we don't adjust for double teams, but we do record them. So we could do a double team adjusted metric. Um, and we, we've talked about that for doing it for the past plays as well. Um, try and keep things as simple as possible so that, uh, you know, they get more widely used. But like, if you follow me on Twitter, a lot of times with the pass blocking numbers, what I'll do is our pass rushing numbers is I'll plot just your win rate and your double team rate against each other. So you can kind of make that inference, uh, you know, against each other. Some players you have, you know, two players who have the same win rate, but one might be double teamed 10% of the time more. Well, that's, that's not insignificant. Double teams, at least I don't have the, as much of the data on the run game, but like in the past game, like, this is obvious, but like double teams work. It's way harder to beat your, you know, to get a win when you're double teamed. So yeah, you get double teamed in the run game. You have a way less likely chance. And, but we do record it. So we do a lot of times we will put that context around the run block win rate, run stop win rate. Right, right. Okay, well, maybe, maybe we'll just get into some of the Aaron Donald talker because I was thinking about it. We could probably talk about a lot of these concepts like double teams sure. um, for the fact that, you know, these are, hey, he's double teamed. He's double teamed. And then you see, you're like, well, no, he's actually not double, double teamed that often. So things like that. So I think that's a good way of thinking about double teams is you don't want it's if you're going to try to bring that into the metric itself too much, then you're going to be building in so many assumptions that it makes the it makes it more difficult to even understand what's going yeah. on in the metric. Whereas if you don't bring it in and then you say, but Aaron Donald faces an equal amount of double teams as everyone else, then you're like, okay, well then I don't, you know, I don't have to adjust for that. Con- like that, that happens a lot. I think if people try to build too much into a metric, it can get confusing. It's better if you know what you're, what you're looking at essentially what the number means you're looking at. So that's something for, for Donald, but let's talk about Donald overall. So the, the specific finding is that his win rate is average or slightly below average versus others. Correct. Uh, versus other interior defenders, yeah. Okay, okay. And the additional context is that even some other measures like on off the field and things like that don't show him to be um, a benefit. I mean, those can be noisy, of course, um, but it's, 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 almost, it's like you know, you're bolstering the point as opposed to. Mm-hmm. So there is evidence there too, right? That was one thing you, you had in your article. I think it's a really important part. Let me give you a little backstory. A couple, we have, we have a kind of real plus minus metric for college football that my colleague Paul Sabin works on. And he, that was our focus, but he, he started building an, an RPM model for the NFL and we're hoping to get that out later this year. Um, so that's been sort of a side project for him. And one of his first things that he found, he came and said, so I've been working on this RPM model and Aaron Donald is not good against the run. And I was like, no, don't be stupid. Come on. Like that's, that's just ridiculous. Okay. <laughs> I like you're trying like, to spread. You're trying to spread the blame to other no, people. No, no, I'm not trying team. to Go spread ahead. the blame. I'm trying, to, I'm trying to relate to the haters. Okay. Because okay, right, I was right. one. I was this, like, I was, I was the people who don't believe this. I was that. Like I was legitimately like, that is preposterous. Aaron Donald is amazing. Like he's like, you've got all these blow up plays. It's just, I, it's gotta be flawed. Like, you know, you're too, you're too early in your process. And, and, uh, and so anyway, that's been like kind of an ongoing sort of, uh, you know, de- joking debate that we've had. Um, and then Brian came along and built this metric, which is not, not related to results. Right. So it's, it's all about, it's a, it's a process metric and right. It's uh it's judging individual blocks. Uh, and, 
or indiv- in individual plays, and, and it came out saying Aaron Donald having an average win rate. And so that was – those two things together starts to really hammer home, a, a, starts to really solidify a point, I think. Um, and, and that is one of the things that gives me more confidence in the take – is that not just the win rate, but the but the on-off splits, which are not insignificant, uh, like in terms of sample. Like there's plenty of plays where he's not on the field. Um, you know, the, so the the number was that the the either EPA per play allowed on run plays with Donald on the field versus off the field over the last three years uh, is is exactly the same. So uh, I think that's I think that's important. Like you said, a lot of noise, but it's but it but it reinforces the point. Right and. Okay, so a couple other things that I know from from reading that I think are important is that Donald he doesn't make many tackles. He's right. near the bottom, so that's kind of your your easiest way to to get a to get a win. Probably is is by is by getting it. To, well, it's the easiest way, but some guy could just run into you essentially, right. and you can almost get a get a win that way. And um, I, I think that's like wait, can I just say really too like that's yeah. one of the things he's like it's not he's not average in terms of his tackle rate. He's well below average, and right. so. What we the whole idea of the metric is not to rely on tackles, right? Like you wanna we wanna capture run defenders and all the things they do that aren't tackles. Tackles is easy to capture. We already do that. And so if if I were told without knowing anything else, uh Aaron Donald has a low tackle rate, my assumption might have been, well, he probably just does a lot of other stuff. And it turns out he does do other stuff. That's how he gets up to average. Right. And then and then maybe the most important part and you know, our our friends in film Twitter weren't buying weren't buying some of the examples that Brian Burke had sent out there. Never post anything. That's all I gotta say. Never post clips. You're uh, you're always wrong, no matter no matter what on this one. But he posted some clips. The second one maybe wasn't the best one to post because uh, Donald almost did make the tackle on that one. But anyway, he posted some clips clips that illustrated a point, and I really. I'm buying this. I, I am in on this on this point that you have here because this is one of these things that it's like a second order type of thing that I think is difficult for people to understand. It's that people watch the clip and and basically the, the point of these clips was that Donald is shooting is shooting into this his gap, which is normally the B gap on the outside of the of the guard. He is going for penetration because he's trying to sack the quarterback a lot of the time, or he can do something that that. Other players can't do what he can do. So if he does make a play, it's a big play in the backfield. It's normally a highly, a highly negative play. But in doing that, he leaves open that this A-gap is still there for either the linebacker to come in and fill or a nose tackle if it's there to get over and get to. But now the A-gap is expands all the way from the, from the A to the C-gap, essentially, and it becomes huge. So I think people are watching those clips. And they're like, well, that's not his responsibility. Well, he just made... He just he just heaped this additional responsibility onto the shoulders of whoever was responsible for that a gap by the fact that he was so good in going around. So I I, I mean I'm definitely buying buying that. Did you do you think maybe you're back? But the, my only concern is are you backing into a, a reasoning that's obviously not itself in the metric, but it's more watching film to try to figure out what's going on. So do do, do you think that is the main thing that people don't understand, or are there other things? I think it uh, partial yes. So I wouldn't say I would say. Backing into the reasoning, the, the reason we came to that, the reason we looked for it in the first place was because we have this other metric called push, which is just um, how far vertically, like if you're facing the quarterback, each defender travels in the first two seconds. 
And Aaron Donald is number one. He gets the most push, which makes sense because he's got an amazing jump. Yeah. Next Gen Stats has a has an average pass rush get off jump. So the passing equivalent, Aaron Donald's number one. Dude's got great jumps. Uh, the question was, normally that's a good thing. Getting more push is good. Why is it that this was like the whole question was I'm, I'm sitting there looking at these numbers, trying to reconcile. How is it that he gets great push and has an average win rate? Those two things doesn't, doesn't quite add up. And so when we went through and watched the plays and I agree, if we could do one thing other, you know, one thing better, we could have, we could have had our lined up, uh, all, you know, our long, our long list of plays, Brian would, would say, you know, he was rushing. He just wanted to get some stuff out there. He was and, going toe to toe. He was going toe yeah. to toe with Phil, with Phil Twitter. They, they appreciate when you say that also, but go ahead. So, so uh, we, you know, we found cases where, you know, a bunch of cases where he was doing that. He's prioritizing the quarterback. I'm going to come back to that point. It's not the only thing. Like there's also a lot of plays where he's just, just like normal run plays where it's just like, he just doesn't do anything. Uh, and that, that happens to everybody. I'm not, not picking on Aaron Donald. I'm just saying like, you know, he can be beat in a normal way. Um, and, and so I, I think that's important. The, the other thing I'll say is like, it's a good, I'm 100% fine strategy, right? Like go for the quarterback, gamble. It's a pass. Like do everything you can to stop the opponent's passing attack with your best, with like the league's you know, best pass rusher. And like it all, that, and by the way, like I think Aaron Donald is the best defensive player in the NFL. That's not mutually exclusive for being an average run defender. All those things can be true, but our previous conception of Donald was always amazing at everything. And um, and who knows, maybe if he like set out to be amazing, I'd, he probably would be. But like stra- strategy wise, it seems like a lot of the times he prioritizes the quarterback and and that's fine. It just makes him, in this case, just an average run defender in terms of starting. Right, right. I mean, I guess how I would frame it is he's you're, you're not saying he's not playing optimally in the context of the entire defense or what you want to do right. defensively. Like, like he, he, he's not playing optimally to stop the run, but he's probably playing optimally to stop the offense. Exactly. I think that's a really good point. Yeah. I think that, I think that's right. Um, and then one other thing though, I think, I, I don't know how I'm trying to think of what the analogy is on offense. I mentioned the sack thing earlier, and I think it could be another thing here on defense where it's a play that you wouldn't ding someone for coming in like that and, and, and making a play. But then again, you're actually giving up a much more valuable run on the other end. Uh, and this is a negative play too, right? This is a on average negative play that you're kind of giving them a freebie. You're kind of giving mm-hmm. them a, a potential seven, eight yard gain where you should have just been happy that they're running the ball. Um, so you don't have to do anything special for that to be a negative for the offense. But what you're what you're allowing them to do, what he what he does with some of these plays is you wouldn't credit it against them. You wouldn't from a grading perspective also like a potential hole in our grading is we're going to say 
oh, he just blew right by that guy. But I mean, the, the run play wasn't to him, but it's not his fault, right? Like he can't be yeah. everywhere at the same time. And you're just not noticing the fact that you're kind of opening up a win for the offense, essentially on that play, a success for the offense on that play where it wouldn't have existed if you just stood and, and, and didn't move, basically. Yeah, I think I think that that makes sense the way you yeah the way you just described it and I think yeah I think I think I think that's right I mean uh, he's you know I watched the game the other night and with a close eye on Donald right I knew if he had a big blow up tackle for loss I was going to hear about it um, and I thought it was pretty indicative of what we were talking about I mean he had a couple nice plays. In the run, I'm talking just just his 18 run plays. He had a couple of nice plays um, where he, he uh, made a stop or 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 you know did something to to uh, affect the run game. Had a couple of nice plays. Had a bunch of plays where he did did just nothing, and he had a couple of plays where he shot the gap and it opened up a, opened up a hole. So yeah, I think like the. Yeah, or even like if you look at the first running play of that game, it's like he's not even – it's not even – like by the time he gets by his defender, it's not even like a – it could be a pass play. Like at that point, it's fully a, a run play, but he's just he's just going towards the, you know, his assigned gap, which which is fine, but it also left – if you just – that's not going to make any sense without without anyone seeing the play. So let's just, let's just ignore that. But like uh, <laughs> I guess – yeah, I think I think if if you if if anyone goes and watches that game, like it was a, it was a solid game. Like I looked at our like his run stop win rate was a better than what it normally was. It was the best among the Rams defenders, I think. Um, but oh no, I guess that, I'm not sure about that. But it was better than better than average, better than what it normally was. But I think pretty indicative of what we're looking at. Yeah, I mean, it'll be interesting to see how this metric plays out as the season goes on. I know um, you know a lot of people have quoted some of the the pass metrics last year so i think it's another thing to, to bring into the equation along with you know pff grades along with the eye test along with everything else um yeah i mean uh, brian i think posted a clip with the dots that did show the the phenomenon maybe stick to dots from now on if you're gonna because <laughs> when you see aaron donald in the flesh yeah you, you can't pay attention to anything else so i know so. it's 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 true i'm curious how do you you know so one so one counter argument right like and i think it's important there was a lot of right so uh there was a lot of like what, what would you call it negative buzz around the story right people were people were mad you don't one does not insult aaron donald but i always think and a lot of it, there were a lot of of silly criticisms right like i got a lot of people sending me past plays of him dominating um which is not the point a lot of people saying tackle for loss numbers that include sacks. It's like, well, yeah, if you include sacks, that uh, <laughs> his numbers will be pretty high. The question that I'm trying to figure out is like, um, oh, sorry, my point is that, but like, I don't think I think it's like just because a lot of you have those criticisms. I think it's important to still listen to to like the legitimate critiques because I think there were some there were some fair ones. Um, the question becomes for Donald is like. Um, Nate Tice had a had a good tweet where you know he talked about is he like a low average high slugging kind of guy, mm-hmm. and so the question becomes is he a is he a low average guy but he makes a lot of explosive plays and like I think the, the answer is yes but the question but like to what degree 
Uh, I'm talking strictly strictly run game, right? So sometimes he shoots his gap and he just runs into the running back and it's like a negative four. And, uh, and you know, he has those highlight plays. Like we've all seen those highlight plays. Uh, but it's not – the thing that, that I was thinking about was like – but his numbers are not crazy high in that regard. Like um, next-gen stats has a, a just simple stat stuff rate – stuffs and stuff rate, which is just tackle for loss or tackle for no gain um, uh, in the run game only. And like his stuff rate last year was like 30th, I think, um, which is above average, but it's not like – it's not like a is that a, is that a million home runs you know like and how many you know is he I don't know but like that's the thing that gave me it didn't make me think well he's just literally you know he's literally like off the charts in terms of these incredible run block run stop plays I think he has more than average of those I just don't know if he has like if he's like is he the best at those? I don't know. Do you guys have like him with the most like uh, high highest graded plays or on the run game or anything like that? Uh, I don't think so. I mean, we have some stuff about about um, you know, penetration and, and whatnot. I mean, I think it's just. I think there's a. It just depends on your perspective. I think from a lot of people when they're watching, and this is the way you're taught. I, I, probably in a lot of if you're a football player, is you know your job is your you know, to do your job, Bill Belichick style, your job is that, is that gap. Um, if the, if the runner's not going through that gap and you haven't let them go through that gap, then you did your job. And Aaron Donald does his job. The problem is um, it just, it, in a larger sense, it has an effect on, on the defense. Mm-hmm. So I think it, maybe that's kind of it. Like they just can't find, find, find fault in that. Um, and then it ends up becoming, you know, this, this bigger, this bigger thing. But one thing I wanted to ask though, is you as being the one who writes the article on this. Now I'm very anti like tone policing on these things where people say, you know, you're, you're arrogant because you're saying this or that. What do you think about when you're framing this as saying, number one, he's an average run defender as opposed to, it's not going to be too catchy of a title if you're like Aaron Donald has a average, uh, you know, pass, pass stop win rate. I mean, right. Maybe that would be, but I don't know. He's an average run defender versus, you know, maybe, maybe he could be a great, like he has traits where he could be a great run defender as we talked about earlier. And number two, the prove it part, the prove it part on the title. I don't know if this is something that you were, that you were, you were writing or not. But I think also, eh, you know, I could see how people are that, that, that may be a little bit more inflammatory. So what do you think about the framing aspect of it? Where generally I'm on your side. Uh, I'm just wondering the specific instance, if you think, you should worry about that or, or in the grand scheme, I think that's not a big deal. Uh, so fair question. Uh, I do think it matters. I think the strongest thing I said in the body of the text was Aaron Donald is an average run defender uh, as opposed to Aaron Donald is average and run stop win rate, um, which you're right is not going to be the catchiest title. No one's ever heard of run stop win rate before, you know, before our stories came out, but the reason why I felt convicted enough to say he's an average run defender, number one, we don't, yeah, we could hypothesize that like if he prioritized the run, he'd be a good run defender, but like that's not how we quantify any other player at, at anything. Right. Um, right. And then number two, it was the, the supporting metrics that, backed me up if we didn't have the plus minus if we didn't have the on off splits I don't think I would have felt convicted enough to say that Uh, but 
when you have evidence from from sort of different angles, there's nothing in there's nothing really inherently in run stop win rate like that relates it to EPA, um, and there's nothing in EPA that really relates it to run stop win rate. Um, it tackles at the line of scrimmage or something like as a aside, but they both coming to the same conclusion tells me okay, well, what's, you know, what's the evidence against? You know, the things I think about would be PFF grade, right? So he's always a really high run, highly graded run defender. Um, and then just our general perception of his highlights. But we can sort of seemingly explain that. And like, ultimately, one of the things that like, I, we know about ourselves is like, we're not good at like, at like cataloging every single Aaron Donald play. We can only think about so many. So we think about, the highlights and maybe, and, and I, we do think he has an above average number of highlights, but if we look at it on a rate basis, it seems average. If he was hitting a ton of home runs, that would probably show up in EPA in terms of on off splits. And so, and so I did think about it for quite a while and I don't know, it might've been the wrong call to like, just say he's average, but to me, that's where the evidence points. Yeah, no, I, I'm. If you're worried about how your your analysis is going to be framed, this kind of like bad faith sort of sort of argument on the other side and straw man sort of argument, then you, you can't do anything. Then, then you can't do anything. So, so no, I, I agree. I, I agree with you there. Although I'll, I'll tell you a short little anecdote. <laughs> I saw something funny Please. last night from, from uh, Benjamin Albright. I'm not sure if you, you follow him. He's a good guy, so I don't mean to, to say anything about him here. But someone was – he was saying that, like, the Broncos shouldn't have gone for it. Um, oh, did they go for it? Or was, I don't know if it was Tennessee or the Broncos. It was one of them about going for it on fourth and one last night. And okay. he's like, that's why you don't do it. And someone said, well, that's what the numbers tell you. He's like, yeah, well, the numbers also tell you Aaron Donald is a bad, is a bad Russian fan. So just so you know, you're going to be, you're going to, this is going to be like the pushback to every, to every sort of thing there. But this, again, this is all our part of the process. And I'll say that I'm very happy about what you guys are doing there. I think it's excellent stuff. And, you know, put it out there. Let people talk about it. Let's try it. Let's try and figure it out. And I think that's the best thing. And creating a discourse around this um, is definitely what you guys have done. So, um, so, so I, I thank you for that. And I thank you for taking the bullets for, for, for us also. I think it's, it's cooled down. I think I could start dipping in to, to defending you guys. But day one, you know, I was, def- I was not getting involved with that. <laughs> Thanks. Well, yeah, no, it, it, ha- it has cooled down. And um, I mean, you know, genuinely, like we want to have the conversation. Like We're open to hearing, you know, I don't think I pretend to be some sort of run game expert. Um, and so like, you know, we want to hear, you know, arguments against and, and, and have that conversation because um, yeah, I don't think it's a take I'd heard before and we were certainly surprised. And by the way, it would have been a heck of a lot easier if it just said Aaron Donald was the best run defender. I mean, believe me, like, you know, it really would have really would have like sold it. Okay, great. Aaron Donald, number one. Cool. Um, but like, this is, I think ultimately it's important that you, you really follow what the, you know, what the data is telling you. And so uh, that, that's what we did. And we, and we do like, we do actually genuinely like want to have the conversation. I do think it, I do think it's, I do think it's interesting. Well, I, I appreciate the conversation. I appreciate you being here today. Um, maybe you can come back when you invent a new metric 
that says Aaron Donald's good to deflect against against this one. Um, I, I guess this metric. Oh, I guess you already have the pass the, the pass rush. So the pass rush. Just, Maybe next time we can take down Mahomes or something. You know. Yeah, that's good. So someone someone people have questions about. Um, so uh, let me just let everyone know. Follow Seth on Twitter at Seth Walder, ESPN analytics writer, such good stuff going on. Um, uh, you know, I love all your stuff. I probably quote it too often for uh, my, my boss's uh, liking quite honestly, QBR and all that stuff, but I've been a diehard fan for, for what you guys do forever. So, so I thank you for being on here and uh, to, to everyone listening, I'll be talking at you guys next week. Thanks. Thanks.